Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. Our world is increasingly complex, fast-paced, and divided. How are people of faith bringing their best selves to the world each day? How are we leading, growing, and being as people of God? Ing Podcast is a place to share insights and stories from individuals creatively engaging the present and moving into the future. On today's episode, Ing host Allison Moss sits down with Christian Brady. Christian wears many hats. He is a scholar of ancient Hebrew and Jewish literature, a professor, a university dean. He's also a priest in the Episcopal Church. There's been a trend of very tiny little tattoos of a semicolon. And, and what does a semicolon indicate for a tattoo? It's not a period. It's a pause. It's not the end of the story. It's not the final chapter. It's not the end of the book. It's a pause to breathe, and then we move on. This conversation will move through a number of different topics, including themes from Christian's new book, Beautiful and Terrible Things, A Christian Struggle with Suffering, Grief, and Hope. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ing Podcast. Today, I am here with a Christian Brady, who is an academic and a clergy person. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So we were just talking, and you have a lot of titles. You do a lot of things. Can you give us a brief introduction, who you are, how would you describe yourself and, and the work that you do? Absolutely. Thank you, Allison, and uh, for having me. Uh, identity, how we identify ourselves, of course, is really important. Um, I, I tend to think of myself, um, well, I mean, first and foremost, I've, I've been a Christian um, since I was very young. I uh, was brought up in a, in a Presbyterian church in a tradition where it was really encouraged upon us to reflect personally and make those decisions. Um, but most of my adult life, you know, if you ask me, so who are you, what do you do? I would respond that I'm an academic. Um, it, I have been teaching and in academic leadership roles since, uh, 1997. Um, my field is ancient Hebrew and Jewish literature. I work in rabbinic literature. Um, and then professionally on the academic administrative side, I've been, uh, a, a dean for, 13, 14 years now. Most recently, I'm interim dean of arts and sciences at the University of Kentucky. But somewhere along the way, uh, I was also ordained uh, as a priest in the Episcopal Church. And aside from one year of sabbatical, that's always been uh, just helping out where and as I can. So sometimes teaching classes, uh, doing supply preaching, things like that. Um, But all of that really does um, meld and come together. There's, there, there are very rarely, aside from when I'm teaching in a secular classroom, uh, as I, I have an article actually on teaching the Bible in a secular university, God does not exist in the classroom effectively. Uh, but otherwise, you know, my life is not hermetically sealed one to the other. Yeah. And you recently had a book come out called Beautiful and Terrible Things, A Christian Struggle with Suffering, Grief, and Hope. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the academic work that went into that and and the personal experience that led you to this offering? It's an example. Offering is a great term for it, Allison. Thank you. And it's an example of how that all flows together. Uh, So um, New Year's Eve 2020, 
12, our, our son, just a couple of weeks short of his ninth birthday, died very unexpectedly of a blood infection. And obviously just a, a deep and tragic uh, loss for anybody um, losing your child. Uh, it was so sudden and abrupt. I had uh, done my doctoral work on the rabbinic interpretation of the Book of Lamentations. So there are five poems in the Bible about the lament uh, around this, the destruction of Jerusalem. But I had then spent you know, more than a dozen years looking at how Jews and Christians respond to catastrophe and lament. How do we respond to things like the Holocaust, September 11th? I thought often about my grandfather dying of emphysema, something not, it was tragic, but not terribly unexpected if you know anything about the impact of smoking since you're 14 years old, that sort of thing. And uh, there were so many people who were gracious and loving and wonderful to us uh, after our son died. But there were also a lot of the tropes that I knew as, as a scholar and, 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 a, and a member of the clergy uh, and just to, as a Christian that I believed were, were not necessarily, well, not true in, in certain aspects, but also not necessarily helpful. Things like, for example, um, God, uh, God needed your son. Well, I don't hold to a view of theology that, that has God needing in that way. Um, Mac is an angel now. Well, no, we're, we're created a little lower than the angels, but we're, but we're not angels ourselves. Th- things like that, that, um, I, it didn't bother me because I knew it came from a place of love when my friends and neighbors were sharing these things. But I also knew, and I saw this when I took my sabbatical and was pastoring a, a, an Episcopal church in Nashville, that for some people, it was like taking their legs out from underneath them at exactly the moment they most needed to stand up um, to, to say in the midst of somebody's grief and suffering, well, this is all God's plan. God's plan was to take my wife pregnant with my child. So one minute we're excited that we're going to be a family of three. And now it's just me on my own. That was God's plan. If that if that is God, I don't want that God, and so on and so forth. And so um, so this book, it is written for the Christian community. It is um, written to try and address and hopefully allay some of these fears. I even say at one point, look, if you're a strong Calvinist, and that notion that God is designing and ordaining every single moment brings you comfort right now, that's fine. Don't read the next chapter. Right. Because that's mm-hmm. that's my that's sort of my larger pastoral point is when we're in the midst of grief and suffering, um, we don't need to be proved that we're right or wrong on any particular abstract theological point. Right. There will be time for reflection later on. But but it's, it's so it's designed to and then the actual design of it, structure of it is so that whether you're an individual or in a group, you can take that time to think through and. Um, one underlying theme, though, is the value and the importance of lament, because I do believe strongly that in, in Western Christianity, we have lost that valuable insight, that we're allowed to be angry with God, that we're allowed to express that, that not only are we allowed, that we should. It is a spiritual um, discipline, really, uh, but it's certainly a, a healthy exercise to, to lament and to cry out. So this book is written for Christians, but you also talked about 
you kind of have a foot in both worlds, right? This academic, maybe, I mean, your study, you talked about not God not being in the classroom, I guess is the part that I'm uh, interested in. And also being a clergy person, a person of faith yourself. Does grief work look different in those two circles? Uh, It does and it doesn't. I mean, so on the one hand, you know, I've, I've taught it, both secular schools and state schools, Penn State, Kentucky, Tulane, um, and in, but never in a sectarian. So in all of those contexts, it, it would be highly inappropriate for me to, within a classroom context where I'm the professor and you're the student, to be sharing, well, th- this, this is my faith conviction. This is what I believe. Um, that, that wouldn't be appropriate. But it is very much appropriate for me, whether as a, a faculty member, an advisor, uh, a supervisor, uh, of, of other faculty or staff to be present and caring for the people mm-hmm. that I'm with and that I'm around. And one of the deep truths that I realized, even after I'd done all that academic work through our, our grieving of our son, um, our former pastor had shared with me a little tiny book called Good Grief by Granger Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And Westbrook makes a really important, simple observation of truth, that we grieve all sorts of things, not just the loss of life. And so I realized that as it's transformed, I now share this almost every fall with our incoming students when we do this this big uh, shindig where I give a speech. I, I tell the students about my freshman year in college and how I basically failed out. My grades were so bad, I received a letter suggesting I take a year off to reconsider whether or not higher education was for me. Mm-hmm. And I share with them that I realize now that that next two plus years, I was grieving because I came into college thinking I was going to be a research physician, white lab coat, the whole nine yards. That was my identity. That was my vision when I came in of who I was and who I was going to be. And then I wasn't. And I didn't know what was next. And everybody around me just treated me like, so pick another major. What's the big deal? But the truth is we grieve all sorts of things. And so outside of religion, all of us all the time grieve things. My, my daughter just graduated a year ago from Penn State. Well, her senior, the last portion of her senior year and her graduation was spent on Zoom. It was virtual. There is a grief process that so many hundreds of thousands of people around the world have gone through of something like graduation that it's disappointing, but we usually wouldn't necessarily think of it as grief, but it, but it is. And of course, there's so many, so many people who have died in this time, and it's difficult enough to try and coordinate a funeral in a time of grief, as we did for my uh, grandmother in a time of COVID. Um, but to then not to be able to be present with your loved one mm-hmm. at the last moments. Um, all of these aspects uh, are common to humanity across the board. And uh, to be present with the people around me. So I just came on as interim dean of this college at Kentucky. And um, it's a traumatic time. We're in the midst of COVID. We've got a financial crisis. And I, I said in a, in a meeting, I said, you know, this is this is going to be basically a time of grieving and um, and I, I'll do all I can to help us through it. 
the seven stages of grief are, are kind of, they've been problematized, as we like to say in literary criticism nowadays, but, um, but there are elements of it that's all still true. These are things that are common to all of humanity. I think one of the things that, um, that faith does show us, that the Christian faith provides that there can be some elements of within a, a secular context as well, though, is the hope for the future. I think when we are grieving, it is vital for us to also find a way to look towards the future, to recognize that today will be followed by tomorrow, and that we can, that we can find this path forward. And so I think that is a, a key element, both a commonality, but also a, a specificity of faith um, that certainly I try to bring in my relationships with people outside of, of my faith, um, but I, I think is, is shared by all humanity as, as a, a healing element of coming through grief, of, of how to grieve in a healthy way, is to have hope. We're going to take a quick break now to thank our sponsors and invite you to consider sponsoring Ing Podcast. You can also play a big part in helping us spread the word about this podcast by giving our new Facebook page a like and sharing your favorite Ing Podcast episodes with friends, encouraging them to subscribe and join this movement of leading, growing, and being as people of faith. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. In challenging times, how do we prepare for tomorrow? Invest in the path ahead with hope and sharing, love and caring, and with help from Everence. Many of us are taking it day by day, step by step. How can we make room for financial strategies and the Holy Spirit to help guide us for the longer term? Financial services for a purpose. Visit us today at everence.com. I think part of the thing that drew me into campus ministry was this, you know, my, this idea of being in transition is beautiful and hopeful in so many ways this season, right? Um, you have students learning about who they are. They're kind of stepping into their own. Um, and I think there's so much hope in that. And it wasn't until I really like started doing the work, realizing the, the grief pieces that also come with that of, stepping into something new also can mean leaving something behind or you have these expectations that you have for yourself or for the experience of college. And that doesn't always happen, right? You fail the class you think you're going to be best at, or yeah, you come out with a different major than you anticipated. And I, so I'm curious as someone who works with college students, um, asking someone else who works in that setting, are there, unique things about that time of college of are there things that you do to help students process that grief and lean into hope? I talked about myself that I had wanted to be a, a chemistry pre-med. I was going to be a research physician. I have had I literally countless, I, I cannot count the number of conversations I've had with students, honor students in particular, in my role as dean of the honors college, where they were basically in the same situation because something 
like 70% of the students come in thinking that they're going to be, uh, it's not quite that much, but it is over 50%, come in thinking that they're going to be physicians or in, in healthcare. How do we, how do we help shape and, and turn that around? Well, the big thing for me is to help them to see that this is indeed a kind of grief. I may not use that word. Um, there's another religious word that, um, or a word that has been taken to be religious that I often find useful, discernment. I'm still looking mm-hmm. for a non-freighted uh, word for that because that's also much of what we do in advising and counseling our students. But so to sit with them and say, yes, this is calculus. You're just, it looks like you're never going to understand calculus. That was me. <laughs> All right, let's take a shift. And I was so blessed to have a friend of my family's who was a psychiatrist who had become a mentor to me even before I went to college. So that when I received this notice and found what my grades were, I went and sat with him and he said, okay, here's the reality. Here's where you are. Where do you want to be? What's the hope? What's the goals? Where, 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 where are the directions you want to go? So Many is the time I've sat with students and I've said, what are your real passions? And we think through it. And, and if there's somebody who absolutely, here in Kentucky, I've got so many students who very specifically want to make an impact in Appalachian healthcare. There is such a need in these Appalachian communities for, for healthcare. But if they just don't have the STEM knowledge, uh, you know, math or science ability, well, then we talk about all the different opportunities that there are for them in public health administration or policy, the thing, sorts of things that they can do um, in the area to bring better health care to their community that maybe doesn't require them to be a physician. Or maybe they're like me, where, yeah, they enjoyed it and they were engaged by it, but actually a conversation reveals some deeper passions. And so it's helping them look to the future. And, and then I'll flip it. Uh, take it out beyond the college environment, we would give anything to have our son still with us, of course. Mm -hmm. But after Mac died and our daughter was a sophomore, I think, or freshman in high school, she was in high school. I think she was a freshman, actually. We came up to that summer and we said, well, Mac's not with us, but what do we want to do? What can we do together? And so we, we, we didn't say, uh, we, we, we started looking towards the positive for the future and doing things that, um, we're not forgetting about our loss, but we're honoring that, but then also honoring our daughter who was with us to continue to build and to live into it and to be positive. Uh, in the book, I mentioned, um, there's, there's been a trend of very tiny little tattoos, of a semicolon. Are you familiar with this, Allison? Yeah, yeah. And and what does the semicolon I- indicate for a tattoo? It is, I mean, a semicolon, it's representing a pause, but go forward. I know that a lot of people who either have lost someone to suicide or have had suicidal struggles themselves, it's something, or just lost someone in general, have. it's impactful for them. Exactly right. It's not a period. It's a mm-hmm. pause. It's a time to reflect. It's, a, it, it's not the end of the story. It's not the final chapter. It's not the end of the book. It's a pause to breathe, and then we move on. And I think it's a great analogy. 
Um, and we often need to mark our grief and that's good and proper, but we have to then think of what is the healthiest way to do that. I won't ever forget a conversation I had where, um, my father who has since passed, he, he really, really struggled with our son's death. And someone in the family said, um, well, he just needs to get over it. And I said, you don't get over it. Now, it is true. My father was not grieving in a healthy way. And I think that that's the key. How to grieve, grieve in a healthy way. And part of that is that pause and looking around and taking stock. Um, so I, I think, I, I think the, the lessons there and the, the importance of the hope of looking forward, uh, is, is central. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a helpful note. I appreciate this time, Allison. It's wonderful to be with you and uh, yeah. your community. And thank you for letting me share about uh, grief and grace and the presence of God and the work that we do. Yeah. Thank you so much for your conversation and sharing your story and for this, this book that you wrote, I'll say again, it's called uh, beautiful and terrible things A Christian struggle with suffering, grief, and hope. So if you listening enjoyed this conversation and want to know more, um, we hope that you will glean from the wisdom in that offering. Um, before I let you go, will you share, do you have a place where people can find you or social media people can follow you on where, where can they find you? Christianbrady.com okay. is the easiest place. You can just okay. go to Christianbrady.com. Uh, all the links are there. CMM Brady on Twitter. Um, and then you can find from all of that also my blog, which is Targuman, T-A-R-G-U-M-A-N.org. But, um, but Christianbrady.com will take you all the places you need to go. Okay. And it's gracious of you to, to come and visit if you if you want to. Um, and uh, it it really is a, a pleasure, Allison, to to be present with you. Right. Yes, I've I've so enjoyed this time as well. So thank you for being here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And peace be with you until we meet again. And also with you. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support Ing Podcast. We'd like to thank Everence, a faith-based financial services organization, for their ongoing support of Ing Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on Ing Podcast? Let us know by emailing theing at menomedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Today's show was produced by me, Ben Weidman. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.